This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Are you looking for an easy meal while you're out on the trail? Check out Green Belly Meals. They offer stoveless backpacking meals. These are lightweight, calorie-dense meals that provide you with all your macros you need. Green Belly Meals are made by thru-hikers for thru-hikers. If you're trying to cut some weight, you can ditch your stove, ditch that fuel, and check out these meal bars and the meal powder. Their meal bars come in around 600 calories and only weigh 5.5 ounces. So whether you're planning just a day hike, a nice weekend, or even your next thru-hike, consider Green Belly Meals as a lightweight, calorie-dense option. Go on over to greenbelly.co and use the code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE to save 10% off site-wide. That's Hiking Through Life, and that's for 10% off Green Belly products. Go check them out at greenbelly.co. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Alan Carpenter. Alan has logged 11,800 miles of long-distance hiking and cycling adventures. They include the John Muir Trail, Colorado Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Appalachian Trail. His long-distance adventures also include cycling. Most impressively, he got started in his long-distance career much later in life than most. He's also the author of a long-distance hiking books and healthy lifestyle books. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So I am curious how this all started. Listening to other podcasts you've been on, it sounds like your outdoor career started in Boy Scouts. That's right. I would wager that few of your listeners started their backpacking career 61 years ago. (laughs) At the the, uh, Philmont Boy Scout Ranch in northern New Mexico. And this was in the primitive days of backpacking. Yes, we had another listener who got inspired down there. It was a wonderful place. It wasn't really very wild, but it was outdoors. It was hiking. It was neat. I had a good time. So at at age uh, 14. Okay. So, and that's when you were 14, but that didn't necessarily start off your backpacking career because you started backpacking not till you were 62, correct? Uh, long distance stuff, yes. But I did shorter stuff, like, you know, a weekend or maybe for a week, something like that. But that didn't start until I was, what, 30 some. I don't, I don't know why it took me so long to sort of figure this out, but it did. 
So in the in the 70s, I started uh, when I was teaching high school, I started doing backpacking trips. But then it never dawned on me that I could do these long distance trips, hiking or cycling. It, it was totally undefined to me. And I didn't really get on the bandwagon until what, 2008, when I was, I don't know, however old I was, 60 some. And, and it was because I got excited about the John Muir Trail in California. And what about that trail? Why the John Muir Trail? What made you excited to want to hike that whole trail? The reason was one day, I think it was in December of 2008, cold and snowy here in Boulder, I found a website for the John Muir Trail that I think I'd heard about, but didn't know anything about. And this guy that hiked the trail the previous summer posted these wonderful photographs of the scenery along the trail. And as I watched those pictures roll by, I got so pumped up, I decided I'm going to hike the entire John Muir Trail next summer without really knowing how I was going to do that. I'd never hiked anywhere near 218 miles before. But the scenery was so stunning and so beautiful that I decided I'm going to do it. And I did. And that's what really got me hooked on long distance hiking. And so to train for that hike at that age, I mean, you had already been doing enough day hiking and you had already been active, but to train for a long distance hike, what types of things were you doing that might have been differently than someone who was maybe younger? Right. Uh, a friend of mine whose name is Will Murray is a coach a triathlete himself. And he, uh, I asked Will, could you give me some ideas for things I ought to be doing physically to get ready to hike the John Muir Trail? So Will's a wonderful guy. So he took me over to the North Boulder Rec Center and showed me all these great things to do several months before the trip. And I did them. Uh, that really helped me develop that one, the physical strength to do that, but it also helped me develop the mental attitude that I actually could do it. And that was really important because if I had gone into that trip with, well, maybe might, I kind of sort of might be able to do it. I'm not sure I would have done it. I might've given up. Yeah. I think that the mindset for, a lot of things in life, but especially hiking an entire trail is maybe even more important than your physical strength sometimes because it's always mind over matter a lot of the time. I think that's true. What what were some times during your first through hike on the John Muir Trail that you really felt mentally challenged? I, the mental challenge mostly came from physical challenges. As I really didn't have any idea what I was doing, I, I had a big, huge, heavy pack. I had full leather, thick leather boots. And about halfway through the hike, my feet started to hurt, particularly my right foot for no apparent reason. And it, it, it was painful. I didn't really know what to do. And I, I just kind of, well, just keep going. And by the time I got to Mount Whitney and started down, it's a 6,500 foot drop down to the trailhead that serves Mount Whitney. What I had was plantar fasciitis. I didn't know it at the time. 
And as I went down, my feet hurt and they hurt more and they hurt more. And I just barely made it to the trailhead. I, I was just in really sad shape then. And I just, it, I was close enough to the end that, well, one, I, I had to get to the end anyway. There was no other place to go. <laughs> but it was hard. It was very difficult for me to deal with that. It, those of your listeners that have had plantar fasciitis, they'll say, oh, yeah, you don't want that stuff. It's just excruciating. But a, a curious thing happened after the I got home and I went to the podiatrist and got an insert for my shoes to support my high arch. The plantar fasciitis went away in, I don't know, four months, something like that. But that pain that I had really didn't grab onto me. And it just kind of went away as a really bad memory. But the wonderful memories of the camping and the scenery and the streams and all that good stuff became bigger and brighter and more powerful. And that hooked me on long distance hiking generally. And also I decided I'm going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail because part of the PCT coincides with the John Muir Trail. I thought, wow, this is just super duper wonderful. I'm going to do this. I had no idea how to do it, but I decided I'm going to do it. And that's really what mattered. As I've learned subsequently, if I'm doing anything in life, if my reasoning, particularly my mentally emotional part of my mind is, is big enough and really latched onto this, I'll figure out a way to get it done. I'll do it. I may not know how at the front end, but I'll figure it out. I'll get help. I'll ask other people. I'll watch videos. I'll read books, all that stuff. I'll figure it out. Just like life. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love that attitude because it's such a, it's such a positive outlook on, on life. You kind of do just have to figure things out and let life come to you as it does and just get through it and figure things out as they happen. You can't, it just kind of like a hike, you can prepare as much as you can, but you don't know what problems you're going to run into and what you're necessarily going to encounter out there. Well, that was certainly true for me. Given my subsequent experience, I now have a much better sense of things to look out for, to prepare for uh, through a hard experience of having made lots of mistakes. <laughs> but it's really, but that part of being in nature, living on the trail, learning how to deal resourcefully with problems and setbacks and even traumatic events. I think being on the trail, it almost requires me to respond resourcefully because in, in several of those situations, there was nobody else around but me. So I had to figure something out in order to get myself out of these situations I got myself into. In town, it's a little different, but on the trail, it, it really promotes being resourceful, not sitting around whining and complaining about something, but thinking, okay, I've got this situation. For example, I just threw my shoes in the creek and they went over a cliff and disappeared. Well, hmm, that wasn't so smart. Now what do I do? <laughs> no way. Did that actually, that happen? Yes, it did. Yes, on the PCT at a place called Russell Creek. So uh, what, what did you do? Was this your only pair of shoes? It was. I had no camp shoes. So, okay. That was it. So how were you resourceful in that moment? 
Well, one thing was I didn't whine and complain about it. I, I guess I'd grown up enough by then to think, well, okay. I'll say, okay, well, I'll just walk barefoot. And I did that for about 10 feet until the little stones on the trail hurt the bottoms of my feet so much I stopped. Well, it turns out that there were three people who watched me throw my shoes in the creek. And one of them, um, a young woman, had a pair of size eight croc knockoffs shoes. She said, I could, I could use them. Well, my feet are size 12. And I could just barely stick the front end of my foot inside her, her shoes and my heel stuck out the back several inches. So I thought, well, I'll try it. So she was happy enough to lend me the, her shoes and she and her friend took off and I started shuffling up the trail. I must've made it, I don't know, a mile maybe before I said, nah, this isn't gonna work. So then I duct taped my shoe uh, to my feet and that worked for about a mile until the duct tape gripped. Then I uh, found these two guys sitting beside the trail and asked them if they had some line so I could tie my foot and shoe together. And so they gave me some and I did that. And then the line came loose. So I had to stop again after another mile. Then I just said, okay, I'm going to tie that line so tight that it won't come off. And I did. But after a couple of miles of that, I realized my foot was turning white and I'd essentially put a tourniquet on my foot. <laughs> that wasn't good. So I sat down, I'm kind of sitting by the trail thinking, well, now what do I do? After a while, these three guys walked by uh, through hikers and the last guy, Quinoa was his name, had a pair of camp shoes on the back that looked like they were big. And I flagged him down and told him my sorry story and said, Quinoa, can I? Could I borrow your camp shoes, please? And he said, sure. And he handed them to me and took off. No questions asked. Nothing about when am I going to get them back or anything. He just gave them to me, which was so common along the trail. Just people being nice to each other, being kind and generous. It was just wonderful. So I put them on my foot. And even though they were about a two millimeters thick on the bottom, I could walk with them. And I ended up walking down to this place called Olali Lake Resort, which I thought was going to be this beautiful thing with the big fireplace and a phone and all that. But no, it was kind of a very modest thing. And I got a ride into beautiful Detroit, Oregon, where I could get another pair of shoes. It was, it was one of those things where just keep trying something, keep trying something, keep trying something, see if it works. And finally, it did. Sure. Yeah. And you said this was the John Muir Trail. Yeah. This last episode was on the Pacific Crest Trail. Okay. Okay. Because I was going to say the John Muir Trail, I'm guessing you didn't see as many people because you just mentioned you ran into a handful of people. I saw, uh, well, in on the John Muir Trail, there are certain places where there are lots and lots of people, particularly up uh, from Tuolumne Meadows. I saw, I'd say, generally speaking, more people on the John Muir Trail than I did on the PCT. Now, there were days on the PCT where I didn't see anybody, but most of the time I'd see a couple of folks every day. Yeah, and I mean, so yeah, that that shoe story is probably just one of many examples you have of, of times that were just like really challenging and you, you were struggling a little bit, but you pushed and you got through it. And I'm sure since then, you've probably never lost a pair of shoes. You probably keep your <laughs> shoes on your feet. <laughs> that was a mistake I have not repeated. 
yeah i can imagine that lessons were learned from there it yes it one of the great things was the facial expression of the people that saw me throw my shoes in the creek they just couldn't believe i the little thought bubble that came out of their minds was that moron alan threw his shoes in the creek what was he thinking well he wasn't thinking actually <laughs> yeah well maybe it it must have just been a really long day of of hiking and and sometimes you do just kind of lose your your brain thinking after long days of hiking and all you want to do is just sit and put your feet in the water and rejuvenate yourself right well that sounds like a good reason to me i like that <laughs> that's what you can start telling people <laughs> that's right i maybe i won't look won't look quite so witless that way so I'm curious too, what other challenges, like at your age, do you feel that other, that people are facing out on the trail? What do you think are some of the biggest barriers people face to long distance hiking at your age? I would guess a lot of people just aren't sure they can actually do it because they don't think they've got the physical wherewithal. I think for the younger hikers, if you're in any sort of shape, you you have this idea, oh, I can do this. I think it's more mental once you get out on the trail and your feet start to hurt and you fall down and scrape your knee and that sort of stuff. The bugs are biting you. You're kind of low on water and you're thirsty, all that stuff. Then the brain starts to work and think, do I really want to be doing this anymore? Like, why am I doing this? It hurts. Hmm, maybe I don't just go home. I think for the older people, it's more the physical, can I actually, what will I hold up? And that, you know, 20 miles a day, can I actually do that? Well, I don't know if I can or not. I would guess that's, that's a big one. And I know for me personally, in the sort of physical realm, I don't have the circulation in my fingers and I, in my feet that I used to. It's almost as if when my blood flows down my arm, it gets down to about my wrist and then turns around and goes back the other way. And my fingers can get cold really easily and my toes can get cold too. So, and that's something I found out the hard way because when my, uh, if it, particularly if it's rainy, 40 degrees and rainy and just getting cold, uh, my gloves aren't enough to keep me warm. And then when my fingers uh, seize up, they cannot function. I realized when that happened the first time, I could not do anything. Like I couldn't get my clothes off because I couldn't get the zippers down. I, I couldn't do anything. So the first time that happened, I thought, well, okay, I'll do jumping jacks, which I could do. Unfortunately, I did that for maybe 15 minutes and my hands warm up, warmed up to the point where I could set up my tent, get my clothes off, get in my sleeping bag and warm up. But uh, for younger folks, that's really not much of an issue, I would guess. I think also one of the real advantages that older folks have, say for people in their 50s and 60s particularly, that many of these folks uh, don't have to work full time or they work for themselves and they can time, take time off from work, so to speak, and just go out and spend three, four, five months hiking or bicycling or doing something like that. Most of the... Uh, once you get out of college and get a real job for, for many people, it's really hard to just 
tell the job to go away, I'm going to skip town for five months. That's harder because for most younger folks like that, they don't have the financial wherewithal to be able to do that. But for older folks like me, well, generally, we're more likely to have the financial resources to do it. And that's a really big deal, I think. In fact, I'd say the really the, the primo time for long distance hiking is basically 50s and 60s. You got the time, you probably got the resources, you still got enough strength, and you probably live long enough that you have um, more mental strength, perhaps, and confidence that the younger hikers do. So I'd say it's, for me, starting late in life was, was just fine. Better late than never. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's a really cool perspective too. Cause I mean, you're, you made so many good points there about how, yeah, younger people starting out jobs don't necessarily have five, six months to take off, to go out and hike the Appalachian trail or the money to do it necessarily. And I think more and more out on the trails from what I read about, like the ages are just varying age levels like there's not even really a a, a normal age level out there it seems it's just all kinds of people who are who are out there is that what you found too Um, my experience has been that the uh, 20s that age group and 55 and it's the 65 ish something like that those would be the predominant age groups for the reasons i just mentioned 40-year-olds, I don't see that many 40-year-olds or people that seem like they're 40-year-olds at least because they probably have kids at home and a mortgage on the house and a spouse and all that stuff. And it's uh, it's hard to get away for a length of time like that. I mean, that said, people in that situation could go out and decide, well, well this is really cool. I'll uh, Maybe I'll take a week off and hike a little piece of the John Muir Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail. Just get started and see if you like it and get that idea in your mind. And when you've got more time, when you're older, then you've got that sitting in there in the background and say, okay, I like that time I spent on the trail. I'm gonna do the whole thing now and go for it. Right, exactly. It's kind of like, you just gotta get that that itch in yourself. It's once, especially with through hiking, it seems like people start going out on a trail and then they kind of want to go and do another trail, do another trail, do another trail. That, that seems like that's what happened to you. And I'm curious too, because you mentioned some people have a spouse at home, but your, your wife, uh, does she go on any of these with you? I know she went cycling with you, correct? Yes. Uh, my wife, Betsy is the cyclist in the family. So when we've gone on our cycling trips together, she goes ahead and waits for the uh, <laughs> for her laggard husband to make it to the top of the pass. She's not really much on hiking for 20 miles a day, which is fine. And she's been so uh, generous and understanding to me uh, and not just letting me go hiking, but really encouraging me to do that because it's such a big deal for me. And I so appreciate her kindness and her understanding yeah because i mean that's that's awesome that she's so understanding of that and do you think that's partly because it was so much later in life like did you guys raise kids yes uh we started in the child rearing phase late in life Uh, we have two grown kids and it's one of the interesting things we would go on outdoor excursions with them 
And then uh, when they were teenagers, their enthusiasm for these things, particularly in the company of their parents, waned. <laughs> but then when they got out of that, uh, and now that they're adults, oh, they're both outdoorsy types. It would it would be just wonderful if if I could uh, do the rest of the Pacific. Or I'm sorry, the Continental Divide Trail this summer with one of our kids. But they've got lives and they've got other stuff that they need to do. It, it would be so cool. Right, right. So, out of all the trails that you've done, you've done all of them solo. But earlier you mentioned you did some hiking through hiking with Clay, who was previously on this podcast. Did you typically find yourself to be hiking with people or were you, do you prefer like the long solo hiking when you're out on those trails? I would rather hike with somebody. But there are a couple of difficult difficulties with that. One is right now, I, I'm kind of slow compared to the younger ones. So I can't hike four miles an hour anymore. I mean, I can't even hike three miles an hour for much of any time. So I'm slow. Plus also, it's really difficult to find people that want to, I like to get, get up early, like 5.30 in the morning and be on the trail hiking by 6, 6.30. A lot of people don't like to do that. I mean, well, that's fine. And a lot of people would like to stay up night, build a campfire, futz around and do all that. I want to go to sleep at 8 p.m. when it's still light out. Well, a lot of people don't like to do that. Plus then there's the, the whole business of, taking all that time away from your regular life. But all that said, though, the deal is to find somebody on the trail that has your hiking style and uh, hook up with somebody and hopefully uh, go quite a ways with that person. And I've, I've done stretches of, of that, and that's really fun. Not necessarily hiking right next to each other all day long, but at least, uh, oh, let's see, we'll probably stop at the so-and-so place and we'll have lunch there, or we'll camp at the so-and-so, or we'll get off at the road crossing, go into town and get something to eat, that sort of thing. So we'd see each other frequently. And for me personally, what I really like is to camp with somebody and get that my fix of social connections in the evening where we could talk about dinner, uh, the, the usual things, talking about what we're going to eat. That's the big thing. <laughs> and say hi, and how was the day, and how's this, and how's that. I, that's just just wonderful as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. Like, I know, I mean, I've never done a, a through hike, but even like when I've been out on a trail for like a few hours at a time, like seeing someone can just like rejuvenate you a little bit just to like have a little bit of that social interaction and just like give you some energy and make you realize there's there's more human life out there and especially when you haven't for through hikers it's like you haven't seen people for days sometimes people go like a day or more without seeing someone and that's when you really like that's when you start to get those mind struggles it seems like just you might get some like negative thoughts and you're, you just start playing mind games in yourself because you're not seeing people and you don't have anyone else to process your thoughts with. Yes, that can happen. That's right. Other people, people can provide such critical uh, social support and just kind words. And, you know, just Alan, yes, you can do that. Come on. You just, I know it hurts, but just go one more day, one more day. You'll be able to do this. Then you can decide tomorrow what you want to do. That, that sort of thing. That's really important. 
Right, right. It's just that that mental reassurance sometimes. And I can imagine that in your book, the choose better, live better, there's some type of talk about having positive, healthy relationships with people. Um, I'm curious about your book. Did your book come after all of these through hikes? Uh, no, it uh, it happened as a consequence of an accident. I experienced on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2013, about 30 miles south of South Lake Tahoe. And I uh, made one of the really dumber mistakes in my young life. <laughs> I attempted to cross a short stretch of um, icy trail, this hard, smooth ice on the steep north-facing side of Mount Raymond in the McCallamy Wilderness. And unfortunately, that stretch of trail was traversed by a really steep icy gully. And as I stood there at the uh, junction of the rocky trail and the icy trail, my insatiable hunger hijacked my conscious mind. <laughs> because, you know, we, we long distance hikers cannot really carry enough food to compensate for the 5,000 calories we're burning up every day. So we rely on the trips every week or so to go into town to resupply and also to feast like wolves <laughs> devouring huge quantities of food. And so as I stood there pondering what to do, my mind just got hijacked by my stomach and it led me across that icy trail like a zombie and I slipped and slid about 100 feet down this icy gully and slammed into a boulder, which wasn't too smart. <laughs> but I mean, many of your listeners might say, well, Alan, you seem like you're a full faculty adult. Why did you do something so stupid? And I said, I can't really explain it other than the fact I was only 30 miles from the Harris All-You-Can-Eat Buffet in South Lake Tahoe. <laughs> <laughs> and the prospect of stuffing my face just drew me forward. I know it seems ridiculous, but that's what happened. Well, anyway, I got rescued eventually. And when I got home, I realized that I had rescued. When you say rescued, are you talking like emergency rescue come in and yes. help you out? Right, right. Yes. I, I managed somehow, well, one, I obviously wasn't killed. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And I somehow managed to crawl up the mountainside back to the trail. And then I managed to crawl a little ways farther to a, a little rise and I got a cell phone signal, which I had not had for a week. And I managed to explain to the person on the other end where I was. And these two wonderful guys, Matt and Joe from the California Highway Patrol, plucked me off of that mountainside with their helicopter, which I thought they were, they couldn't do because it was so steep, but they did. And they took me to a hospital in Reno, Nevada, and I got patched up there because I had some fractured ribs and one of my lungs was messed up, plus the usual cuts and scrapes and bruises. So I was extremely lucky to, to survive that. And I was lucky I wasn't hurt any more than I was. And when I got home, I just I wanted to be back on the trail so much and I couldn't because my lung needed a couple of months to recuperate. And I thought, well, now what do I do and how do I get better? And I, I couldn't do anything because I was so beat up. And so my wife started 
going to the library and getting books about health and wellness. And I started reading them and I realized, you know, this, this whole exercise thing that you read about, it's a good thing. It's a huge thing. It's just monstrously big. And this whole thing of people tell you to eat better, eat more vegetables. It's just not kind of nice. It's essential if we're going to have a really healthy life. How about getting enough sleep at night? Again, it's one of these things, oh, yeah, that's kind of nice. No, it's, it, it's essential if we're going to have a healthy life. So it turns out I got so pumped by that stuff that I read. And then later on, when I could move around a little bit, getting more science articles, I thought, the world needs to know about this stuff. This is just crucial. And I think we, we sort of know about this stuff a little bit, but we don't really realize how powerful it is. So anyway, I decided I'll write a book about it. So I ended up identifying what I call nine healthy lifestyle choices that nurture body, mind, and spirit. And that's what I've been living since 2013. And it's one of the reasons why I'm still out hiking and cycling. It allows me to do that stuff. And, and I think even if you didn't like to do long distance hiking and cycling, just being able to have the energy and the enthusiasm for life, all that wonderful stuff that makes life so much more enjoyable and worth living, holy smokes, get on the get with the program would be my advice. Right. Well, and you know, like you said, like these aren't necessarily new concepts by any no. means, healthy lifestyle choices. But what's happened over the last years is all of this consumerism and technology and everything else is just sucking up people's minds. And people are so busy and rushed from one thing to the next to the next. And, and people don't have time to sit and, and think about these healthy lifestyle choices. Well, I think that's that's the way we oh, many of us experience our day-to-day -day existence. And one of the things, when Barack Obama was president, I read that he uh, would go to the gym pretty much every day and play basketball with some of his compatriots. And I thought, huh, so the president of the United States can figure out a way to go to the gym. He, he, he's a busy guy, I think. <laughs> he's just not sitting around <laughs> surfing the web all the time. Well, no, wait a minute. If the president of the United States can figure out how to find the time to go to the gym, I bet I can too. And so it goes for all these other choices. So I, th I think you're right. We tend to all just get so caught up in our day-to-day -day life that we sometimes, I forget to live. We're just sometimes responding, putting out fires and just doing all this kind of stuff. And one of the beautiful things about hiking and cycling is taking the time to just be there in the moment, enjoying whatever it is, and just living life, letting it just be the way it is. Sometimes it's sore feet, sometimes it's beautiful scenery, whatever it is, and just enjoying that. And that I, I have found to be a really useful lesson, that if I get so busy, I'm just kind of chasing my tail end around, I'm thinking, no, this this really isn't to my short-term or long-term self-interest. So I, I need to figure out a better way to deal with the situation I'm in. Absolutely. So besides um, healthy eating, exercise, sleep, what are some other 
of those nine tips that are included? Well, I organize these nine healthy choices into what I call the the aspects of body, mind, and spirit, because I think that really captures the essence of our humanity. Unfortunately, mo most of the medical stuff deals with the body and short shrifts the mind and the spirit. The three choices I mentioned relate primarily to the body. The mind is a huge thing too. And the I think the biggest healthy choice there is what I call cultivate social connections. There are people that think this is the biggest deal of all. We are social animals, John Wayne and the rugged individualist notwithstanding. We're social animals. And for the vast majority of us, we need to be able to function in social situations and have other people around us and have satisfying relationships with those people. That's a huge deal. It's not just kind of nice, it's essential for us. Another uh, big one is to keep learning. Our brain is somewhat like our skeletal muscles. We all know that if we don't use our muscles, they atrophy. If we don't use our brain, those neural connection, those synapses, go away. That doesn't sound good. That's really important. How about in, in the realm of the spirit? Develop a positive mental attitude, particularly in the realm of being optimistic about life, not being a Pollyanna, but having that general belief that things are probably going to be okay. And how about being grateful for what we have? And how about learning to forgive other people? Rather than carrying around a gunny sack of old bad feelings and sort of stuff, just get rid of that crap. Because when we're angry with other people and we won't forgive them, we're hurting ourselves, not them, us. Get rid of that stuff. Here's one that most of your listeners would not think of, I bet, and it's called live with purpose. Science shows that People who live with purpose, that is, they're doing things in, in their life that try to help people or the world outside of themselves, like volunteering, for example. People who have purposeful lives live longer and live better than people who don't. Wow. How about that? Isn't that cool? How about participate in a spiritual community? In my belief system, there's more to life than our our mind and our physical body. There's something called the spirit. There's, I don't know quite how to define this, but it's there in my opinion. And if we tap into that, I think it helps us live a more sort of morally awake existence and to be conscious of our interactions with other people and live on a higher plane of existence. Those are really big deals. And if we uh, start where we are, no matter where we are, and just start working on these things. Just take one of these at a time. One that your listeners might think, okay, I can do that. I can, I can eat better. I know I can do that. Well, start just a little bit and just keep making progress and keep making progress. And those things build on each other. And eventually we will change our minds about ourselves, that we are healthy people and that we do things that healthy people do. Like Eat better, like get enough sleep at night. Not because somebody tells us to, it's because we know that we feel better and can do more things because of it. And we can continue our long distance hiking until we're 80 years old. 
Exactly. I mean, everything you're saying just makes so much sense as to why you, why you can continue doing this activity that you're doing. You, you are living so intentionally and have this mindset of a healthy mindset. And that's why you're able to do all of this stuff at this age. You're you've taken care of yourself for these years. Would you say that you've always lived in this healthy way or was it a, a process? I'd say it was a process. And when I was young, I had the good fortune to uh, have a, uh, my maternal grandfather was a very health oriented guy. And it turns out that my mom and two younger brothers and I lived with our grandparents for 10 years when we were young after my parents split up. And my grandfather was very conscious of what he ate. Like he didn't want us to eat white bread. Like what a stinker. We couldn't buy that nice balloon bread that you can roll up and make dough balls and throw at each other. He wouldn't let us buy. And my mom was on the program too. She wouldn't let us buy soda pop to drink. Man, what a deprived childhood I led. <laughs> but, yeah. but some of that's like for, you know, when you're kids, you hear that stuff and some of it sinks in, but a lot of it, I think, uh, appears later in life. And I think even in my 20s, when I was a young adult, I didn't eat as well as I do now, but at least I think I had that voice in the back of my head that, you know, Alan, that soda pop stuff really is, it tastes good, but it's really not really good for me. And it's certainly not good for my teeth and all that good stuff. And over time, I've just ramped up being healthy. And especially after I got hurt in 2013 on the PCT, that, that is what really did it for me because it just sort of crystallized. If I live a healthier life, I'm going to be able to do these things that really, really matter to me. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's only going to add to the enriched and enhanced life that you want. So I'm curious too, going back to the trail and living with purpose, like what do you think are some of the biggest lessons that you can take from the trail? I mean, I know for myself, like just the simplicity of the trail is something that I try to apply to my everyday life. I think that's a huge thing that helps me live with purpose, but I'm curious what you've taken away from all of your, your through hikes. I think for me, the biggest deal of all is experiencing the generosity of strangers. When I hiked the PCT, I was on the trail for 128 days, including zero days. I kept track in my journal of all the nice things other people did to me. I counted 144 separate acts of kindness bestowed upon me on those 128 days on the trail. That's more than one a day. In many of those days, there was nobody around to bestow any kindness on me. (laughs) Every long distance hiker I've ever talked to tells the same story. The trail angels, as they're called, are so wonderful and so important for the trail, not just to to the practical aspects of what they do for us, but for the attaboys that we get and for the kind, just that sense of kindness and somebody else cares about me. It is just the sweetest darn thing. And as a consequence, I am a much more generous and grateful person now than I was before I started long distance hiking. And every long distance hiker I've talked to says the same thing. In fact, women I have talked to 
tell me they will pick up hitchhikers. That's a big deal. I'm not necessarily encouraging that, but it just shows that, that how impactful it is experiencing the kindness of other people on a day-to-day -day basis. They're not trying to get anything out of us. They just want to be nice to us and help us. Because I think they, they see this big thing we're trying to do, like hike from Mexico to Canada, for heaven's sakes. Wow, that's pretty cool. I'd like to help this guy out. And they do. I think also, particularly today with all the political, I don't know what, wrangling going on, I believe that the vast majority of the people in the world and in the United States are wonderful people. And they will go out of their way to help other people like me and my fellow hikers if given the opportunity. And I think that just that's such a wonderful counterpoint to what you sort of read about in the newspapers these days. It almost sounds like we're at each other's throats all the time. That's not my lived experience. So that would be a big one to me. And your other uh, comments here about simplicity, like being on the trail, you realize you don't need all this stuff. You've, you've got some stuff, of course, that you've carefully selected. So it's functional and hopefully lightweight and does what it's supposed to do. But just all this other stuff, we don't really need that stuff. And the irony is, is that at least in my experience on these hiking trips, I have so much uh, a high level of enjoyment and peace of mind most of the time that life is very simple and it's very enjoyable. It's very rewarding. It's not like I'm freezing in the dark or anything like that. Yeah, I don't need all that stuff. That's a big lesson, I think. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And just like what you were saying about all the, the people, like the trail angels, like, yeah, there's always every single through hiker, like you said, has a story to tell, not even through hikers, just like section hikers. I mean, I've been out on the trail for three days at a time and have had some great trail angel stories happen. And it's, it's that type of stuff, that type of community that that's out there that makes you realize that people are just want to help each other out and want to support each other and be there for one another at the end of the day. Like you said, like, what you're seeing on the news and everything is just so dramatized and just like, yes. it's just too much. <laughs> and sometimes people just got to turn off the TV and get on the trail. <laughs> I like it. Turn off the TV and get on the trail. I think that would be highly therapeutic for many of us. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned, um, lightweight gear so it sounds like over time over your hiking career you've slowly learned that light lightweight hiking is the way to go ultralight absolutely now and, but let me qualify that a little bit it doesn't mean carrying so little stuff that i feel unsafe or uncomfortable that's that's really important and we find that out by doing this stuff and by asking other people and getting advice from folks or whatever. But basically it took me a while to learn that. I think by about the third hike, I'd gotten the picture pretty much because as Warner Springs Motti says, the fun goes up when the weight goes down. <laughs> and it, it may require a little bit of looking around. It will require a little bit of looking around, but it's a lot easier now than it was in 2008 when I started this because I was unable to find lightweight 
hiking gear. I'm sure it existed, but I couldn't find it, like searching online. Ultra lightweight tent, didn't find one. Ultra lightweight sleeping bag, nope. Ultra lightweight backpack, nope. I, I didn't find it. So I just had my old heavy stuff and it worked okay, but it weighed a lot. And I'm sure that had something to do with getting plantar fasciitis on the John Muir Trail. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that when you were telling that story, like all that weight that you're carrying on your back, it's, it's got to affect your feet. So how much did your pack weigh? Like at, when you started your through hiking, what was your pack weight? I don't know, but it was a lot. Are we talking like 40 pounds? Yeah, maybe, maybe, but yeah, it was just way more than I needed. What I didn't know. I didn't know how to do this. I read what I could and I thought, well, I'll try and see what happens. And fortunately, when I was out there, I realized that I could hike more than my initial target of 12 miles a day. Why 12 miles a day? It's because the Wank guidebook that I read for the John Muir Trail basically said that most people take, what, I think 22 days to hike the trail, which if you do the math, it's 12 miles a day, roughly. Well, okay, I'll plan for 12 miles a day. I didn't know any better. And when I get out there, I realized, oh, I can, I can hike 16 miles a day. And then after I got even lighter weight gear, I thought, oh, I can hike 20 miles a day. And then, then I, oh, I can hike 23 or 24 miles a day in some situations. But that's a, a, there's a learning curve involved in all that. And now I've got, I've got, I'm still experimenting with gear. I bought a new uh, tent this last year. So I'm going to see how that works a little better. Just trying to, have gear that works and that will hold up under most uh, environmental conditions I'm going to experience that is comfortable. And hopefully the things that I have can accomplish more than one uh, item at a time. Would you ever do just the shelters and just carry like a sleeping bag and do the shelter thing that a lot of people do on the trails to sacrifice weight? Uh, no. No, on that, like the AT, for example, yeah, uh, they're shelters. Uh, but one of the deals there is the shelter might not be in a place where I really need to get off the trail and camp. Plus, there's a lot of rain on the AT. Plus, on the AT, uh, there's a fair number of snorers that uh, stay in the shelters, and sometimes they don't own up to being snorers. And there are several times on the AT when I, I just got them in the middle of the night. I can't stand it anymore even with earplugs and walk outside on a dry night and plop my uh, pad and sleeping bag outside and sleep the rest of the night. So um, I, uh, when I started the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, I had a tarp. So and I tried that for a while, but I gave it up and bought a tent because the wind would blow um, under the tarp and it dirt and crap all over my stuff. And I was concerned I'd lose small things like my pocket knife. It would fall off my ground sheet and get stuck in the sand or the soil and I couldn't find it anymore. So I decided to get a tent. I'm glad I did. I've had several since then. But um, it depends on what you like and how you see it. If, if you, you know, I'm not trying to tell what people what they ought to do. But just be aware of the situations that you're likely to encounter, particularly with regard to bugs would be an example, mosquitoes or black flies. You know, if, if you're going to be in black fly and mosquito country, you're going to need some 
mosquito netting. Oh yeah, yep. That's that's here in Minnesota in the summer. You yeah, you need sure. That. So now the, you might you might have a tarp with a little mosquito netting kind of thing around the perimeter or something like that. Okay, but you got to be mindful of stuff like that so you don't get hung out to dry, as it were. Right. So what are some what are some of like your top gear items that you would recommend? I know like th- through hiking and just hiking in general is such a learning process for people as far as gear goes and as far as what you think you need when you're starting out and then what you end up with. So what are your tips, like some of your like top items that you would tell people to definitely bring with you on their first through hike? Uh, one of the best things I ever did was buy a pair of Mont Bell wind pants very lightweight. They're about five ounces. I actually, um, I, I wear shorts all year round. Uh, I've got them on right now. It's February and Boulder and it's cold (laughs) outside and there's snow on the ground. So, uh, when it's really cold, then I put on my Montville wind pants over my shorts to go for walks. My wife and I take a walk after breakfast, after lunch and after dinner. So today when it's relatively warm, it's about 45 so i don't need my long pants but i use my wind pants and i've taken them on i think every since i bought them every long distance hike that i've had is they're very light and i found that at least for me if i put my wind pants on over my shorts as long as it's not raining i can stay warm and and the bugs don't bother me much either yeah wind pants are great that that they work great yeah i've um also bought it so i said a montbell uh, rain gear, uh, Versalite, I think it's called. And that has worked really great. I have had poor luck with rain gear in the past, as in it doesn't really work. It leaks or it has uh, such a limited lifetime. And I've had very good luck with that rain gear thus far. It's very lightweight. You, you got to take care of it. You can't you know, abuse it, but it's been very effective. It works. So I, I, those are some items that I would uh, suggest to folks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, because the better the the gear you have to wear, the more comfortable you're going to be, especially like you said, wind pants can help in the rain, can help with the cold, they're lightweight. I mean, yeah, I've used wind pants in the winter here too, just to help myself from the cold. Yeah, yeah, those those are a couple. I actually bought a, a Gossamer gear uh, tent, the two it's called. So I uh, haven't used it yet, but it looks like it's long enough for me. I'm 6'1", and, and in most tents, my feet tend to stick up against the end of the tent or my head, and sometimes rain can get in, depending upon the tent. It's, it's a very lightweight tent. It weighs, what, pound and a half, something like that. So I'll see when I'm out on the CDT this summer how that works. Oh, okay. And is this just a, a one-person tent? It's a two-person tent. And I like to be able to sprawl in my tent and I don't want to feel like I'm sleeping in a culvert. (laughs) So uh, I'm happy to have a few extra ounces to get the extra room in the tent. Yeah. Yeah. You learn what you'll sacrifice the weight for and comfort, sleeping and comfort is. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And also um, on our next uh, bike trip that my wife and I take, uh, actually, we're going on a trip this uh, April and May, uh, southern Arizona, northern, uh, wait, southern Utah, and northern Arizona. So we'll take that tent for the two of us, and it'll work. Oh, okay. So how long is this bike trip going to be? 
680 miles, more or less, 10 days. It'll be just great. Late April and early May are really wonderful times to be in the Colorado Plateau. Highly recommended. And we, she and I did a trip, oh gosh, maybe seven years ago. We started in Moab. Uh, pretty much everybody knows where Moab is these days. And basically went around the whole uh, Canyonlands area uh, on our bikes. It was wonderful. What time of year was this? Uh, late April. Okay, so it wasn't too hot yet. No, and no, it wasn't too hot. It was just wonderful. And I have yet to meet anybody who's done that trip. It's it's A plus plus. I don't get why I don't run into more people that haven't that have biked that route. It's wonderful. Yeah, I don't hear much people doing that either. It's there's just so many national parks down there that maybe people are just trying to chase the national parks in cars. Yeah, well, we've done that plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah it's a uh, there's not really kind of no place else like it in the u.s as far as i'm concerned so would you say that's like one of your top cycling trips you've done that was really nice it, it was only a what about eight days something like that it wasn't very long but it was sure fun and the scenery was wonderful we had great great times together this uh, trip we're gonna do in late april and early may will be 10 days not uh, actually on the bike and we we have some friends we're going to see along the way so that'll be fun it'll be a wonderful trip and we'll be able to see the cottonwoods just sprouting out down on the escalante river ah it'll be so swell yeah yeah that's awesome and when you guys do the cycling do you just put your packs on your backs or do you have like the do you have them hanging off your bikes like most cyclists do i'm guessing uh we have panniers in the rear not on the front Again, what well, we when we got on our on our long distance cycling trip, we've taken our hiking gear, not the backpack, but you know the tent, sleeping bags, shirts, long johns, all that stuff. Uh, and so we've got bike shoes that we don't use hiking, and we've got panniers to carry the gear in, and a reflective bike vest. But pretty much, it's hiking gear, and it's I find it amazing the number of people we've run into that they have front panniers, back panniers, other stuff. They've got everything, including the kitchen sink. <laughs> and I kind of, do you really need all that stuff? Oh yeah, we. I need to bring my computer along. Absolutely. I need to bring along this, that, and the other. Okay. Probably all the people that are doing all the technology stuff and blogging about it. <laughs> I guess yeah. if you're bringing your computer along. Yeah, well, I use my cell phone. It's it's not right. as convenient as having my computer, but I don't need the computer. Right, all the extra weight, all the gadgets. The gadgets can add a lot of extra extra stuff to your yeah. to your gear. Yeah, so it's the same idea on our bike as like hiking. When the the fun goes up, when the weight goes down. Right, right, for sure, for sure. I've experienced that. I mean, last, last summer we were hiking with our baby and I was, I was carrying the baby on my back and I know we, we didn't hike nearly as much as we used to. And I was carrying the weight of a baby on my back. <laughs> well, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. One of, one of our, my favorite memories is when our daughter was little, we went down to Canyon Alliance National Park to the Squaw Flat campground in the Needles 
and hung out for a better part of a week. Our daughter was in diapers and we would rinse the diapers out in the diaper bucket every day and hang them in the juniper trees at the campground. <laughs> it, it looked like, I don't know what, the, the Clampets had arrived from Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was wonderful, and she had a great time. She was she couldn't walk, but she would crawl around and eat the sand and that's eat fantastic. the pine, pine needles and all that stuff. It was wonderful. Yeah, that's that is so fantastic. That's just diapers hanging in the trees. That's <laughs> time of the hippies. That's for sure. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. All right. Well, it's been so awesome. Is there, so if people wanted to like learn more about long distance hiking at all and check out all of your stuff that you've done, where can they find you? Well, there's uh, two possibilities. Uh, I have my sort of health and wellness uh, website and that's A-L-A-N-T is in my middle initial carpenter.com, alantcarpenter.com. So I blog once a week on health and wellness topics and i have a monthly free two-page newsletter that i'll give out to people so if you're interested in that that's fine just let me know on the website and then the uh, biking and hiking stuff is long distance adventures plural.com so i have a bunch of journals and such on there and an ebook about how to get started with long distance hiking and uh, when i'm uh, doing hiking i blog on that website too from your phone not your computer from my phone yes that's right <laughs> just typing in one letter at a time i can't i can't do it with my thumbs like our kids do i'm just hunting peck but it works and i'm happy well you're out you're out hiking at your age you don't need to be doing all the fancy digital stuff all the young people are doing either <laughs> no, that's that's fine. If that's what folks want to do, power to them. But that's a, that I'll pass. So you know, another thing too, if if people are interested in, in chatting with me about this stuff, that's fine. Just send me a message, and uh, and we can hook up and talk about it. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes for sure. Well, thank you, Alan. This has been awesome talking to you, and I'm ready to get out on the trail now. <laughs> yeah what a wonderful it's sort of remember george bailey in the christmas film it's a wonderful life that's the way i kind of feel about just i have this wonderful situation this wonderful town to live in and a lovely wife and kids that are wonderful and i just feel so grateful for all the things that have been bestowed upon me and i'm just so grateful that i'm able to continue with the hiking trips and the biking trips and really enjoy life how about that that's a beautiful note to end on very grateful note yeah yeah why be grouchy exactly <laughs> well sarah thank you so much for chatting i just enjoyed it immensely yeah thank you you've been listening to the hiking through life podcast peace love and hike through life